Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Purple Theory Podcast. My name is Grant McGalliard. Uh, I have with me, as always, my co-host, Parker Fleming, and I have a special guest uh, tonight. Uh, you know her as at the Coach Melissa on Twitter. Uh, she is Melissa Trebowasser. Melissa, how are you doing? You know, how are you doing is, is always a loaded question, um, but I am doing so well now that I'm on the call with you guys. This day could not have ended in a better way. Yes, I know looking at Parker's face is the ideal way to end a Wednesday evening. It, it really brings me joy uh, every week. Well, you know, you talked a lot about nonverbal communication on this podcast. So I'll just be able to slide some nonverbal communication his way throughout the next uh, 30 or 45 mm-hmm. minutes. And, and that works for me well. Melissa, could you please put down that finger? It's really hurting my feelings. I'll add the second one if it's okay with you. <laughs> uh, no, I things are... Uh, we're friends. We're, um, we're, we're real life friends. Melissa, we saw each other during the pandemic. If that's not real life friendship, yeah. I don't know what is. Yeah. Outdoors. 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 Let's, uh, let's uh, across the table. The yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, that, that is, that's how you know. But still, yeah, I thought I thought my life was worth uh, hanging out with you for a little bit. So very good. Wow. Good to know. Well... And we have to remember, alcohol does kill germs, so that kind of helped us yeah. stay safe while we were I'm, doing it. I'm pretty sure that's how I've stayed negative over the course of the last months. <laughs> I, I am sterilized from the inside out. I didn't drink bleach yes. or you know swallow a black light, but I came close. <laughs> I'm going to leave that one alone and say that <laughs> while we are going to have a State of the Union for TCU football tonight, uh, we want to talk about more pressing matters. Um, two things. One, Desmond Bain is waiting to get drafted tonight. Uh, we'll keep you all a uh, tab so you can find out live 12 hours after it happens if he does go. But we should talk about TCU soccer. We should uh, talk about they, TCU soccer. Yeah. We've, we look, someone, someone asked, asked specifically to talk about TCU soccer tonight. This is not the first time we've talked about TCU soccer. Um, no. And so I feel, I feel good that we've been, you know, out, out in front of that, but, um, Hot damn! What a season for TCU soccer, um, Melissa. You've you've written about it. You've probably been the the premier TCU soccer coverage uh, on the internet um, this fall. So tell us about the TCU soccer team uh, overall. Yeah. So um, those of you guys that aren't aware, uh, as most fall sports did, soccer made the decision to not play a postseason tournament, um, but they still played a conference season. So. TCU uh, went, uh, I guess they called it clean sheet. I've learned a lot about soccer um, this season, but clean sheets uh, for, for most of their run there. They, uh, I think, were 7-0-1 or 8-0-1 across, the, se- uh, across the, uh, the entirety of the season. They played West Virginia at home in the final regular season uh, game of the year. And because West Virginia uh, was a one-loss team at that point, uh, anything, a tie or a win would have given the Frogs a Big 12 championship. And they managed to pull off the one nothing win um, in front of a very, let's call it um, COVID precarious crowd uh, at uh, John Justin Field, um, Garvey Rosenthal Field at John Justin Stadium or something. I don't know. As, as with everything at TCU, 75 names because, you know, 75 people donated billions of dollars. Um, but just a really, really fun team to watch. They just swept, uh, this morning kind of swept a lot of the major awards, um, offensive player of the year, Grace Collins, who had the, the game winner against West Virginia goalkeeper of the year, uh, Emily Alvarado, who is, is like, again, I'm not a huge, like knower or understander of the game of soccer, but you watch Emily play and it's, it's obvious that she's just a real special player and goal. Um, and then also midfielder on the all big 12 team and Yasmin Ryan, who missed that championship game with an injury, Grace Collins, and then, um, had, uh, all freshman team members and Mars Aikens and Olivia Hasler. So, uh, Eric Bell was coach of the year, much deserved. This is a team that has always kind of been in the mix for the last handful of years, but this is their first big 12 championship. And then when the postseason tournament begins in the spring, I think they're planning to play it March or April. Um, the frogs are already secured with a seed and that opportunity will have a chance to win their first NCAA tournament game, um, in the Eric Bell era. Okay. I'm fascinated this on, by this on so many levels. So I don't know how familiar either of you are with, um, minor league baseball, but the Pacific mm-hmm. coast league where the Memphis Redbirds, Memphis, my hometown play in does, uh, an interesting thing. Like many minor league baseball teams, they play. Grant is raising its hand. Yes, I know Memphis is nowhere near Pacific. I don't understand it. Okay. They're in the Pacific Thank you for Coast answering my question. Yes. <laughs> it doesn't make sense, but here we are. But what they do is they do first half, second half. And so if you win the first half, you're guaranteed a spot in the postseason. 
Mm. I think there's all sorts of possibilities with kind of the COVID and break to do something interesting like that. Um, uh, and, and so we'll see how TCU soccer kind of, kind of pans out there. I will say without playing a postseason tournament this fall, one can only speculate how many goals TCU would win the national championship by two, four, six, 10, who knows? Uh, we can only, we can only speculate. Um, lest, lest you think this is lip service though. I do have soccer stats. Uh, I went wow. and found some soccer stats. So this guy, Emily Alvarado, 92.5 safe percentage led the nation. She gave up three goals all year. And you might be tempted to think, oh, well, she didn't really play that much. She didn't face a lot, whatever. 25th in goalie minutes and no one who had more minutes than her uh, had a higher safe percentage. So um, just, just really, really incredible stuff at the goalie. Grace Collins, 51.7% shot accuracy, 37th overall. And again, you might think, oh, that's maybe she was really selective with her shots. 12th overall in shot attempts uh, and 15th overall in goals. And then finally, TCU, 4.67 points per game. 4.67 points per game in a soccer match is incredible. Seven of nine games were shutouts. That is insane. That is that is the equivalent of being 2000 and what 10 Alabama I think it was yeah um, yeah that is that is the 2010 Alabama defense of soccer Jeez. performances by TCU this year yeah uh, they all, they somehow managed to like work their way onto Sports Center's top ten th- like I think yeah. three different three times, times with the Fantasticals yeah. that they scored um, and they only played uh, nine games that's once every yeah. three games that a women's soccer team was on ESPN's Sports Center top ten ridiculous and I'll, t- like, and I'll tell you what's really exciting like uh, Mars Akins like she was the second straight Horn Frog to win the Big Twelve Freshman of the Year award so like the program's only getting better and like it's it's not like there's youth movement there it's not just a talented senior class that's carrying this team yeah. like, there's and, a bunch of really talented young players. Grace Collins is one of those players. Again, like I'm, I'm not going to sit here and act like I'm a soccer expert all of a sudden. I'm not going to be somebody on Sunday morning Twitter. Um, but I, I do feel like she's one of those people that when she has the ball, uh, the reaction from the crowd is just completely different than it is with anybody else. Um, I saw her just shake people uh, left and right on Friday night. And the goal that she scored that did make Sports Center's top 10 um, was one of the most impressive things I've seen. And, and it was cool because she talked after the game how she had just been working on that in practice the day before um, in that exact same scenario. And she had that moment that, you know, athletes get that was kind of like, oh, shoot, I know exactly what to do here. I just practiced this. And then she executed it. Uh, just a beautiful goal. It was great to be out there. Uh, TCU so- Women's Soccer regularly um, leads the Big 12 as far as environments to, to play in. They are definitely one of the, the biggest and best and loudest crowds in the conference. And so um, when things are a little bit less hectic and scary in the world, uh, definitely a team worth checking out. And if, if uh, you know, we're at a sense of normalcy in the spring when they get to play in the tournament, uh, if that's a, if they get to play close by, I highly recommend everybody traveling out and, and being a part of that. They are, uh, that that's a really fun way to spend an evening uh, watching GC women's soccer. For sure. Yeah, for sure. By the way, if you would like to join a Sunday morning Twitter, uh, Tottenham Hotspur plays Manchester City uh, Saturday morning, um, so I will be uh, active. I wasn't, uh, that's, uh, are you are you speaking I Arabic? I didn't shade. understand any of yeah. that. <laughs> I wasn't throwing shade. I mean, at Grant McGalliard for these yeah. tweets. I know, yeah. I know, I know. I'm um, a little, but I know. Well, shout out to the to, to the Horn Frog soccer team. That is awesome, uh, legitimately, and it's really cool to just kind of add another layer to. Uh, TCU's athletic portfolio, um, and if they can continue that, I think Eric Bell is a really good coach, and they can um, keep making waves in the Big Twelve, and, and hopefully we'll see them next year uh, re- have the same success and 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 go deep in in the spring when the tournament starts. Um, should we talk about football? I guess I kind of would have pre- to. preferred to just Do talk about more of a successful to. program um, and talk about soccer for the rest of this thing, but. Uh, we promised you a State of the Union. What we're going to do is just kind of evaluate where TCU is. Uh, at, at this point in time uh, with regards to the football program, but that could take on a number of layers. Um, Parker, I assume you have a lot of thoughts on this. So, so I'll give you kind of first dibs and, and you can just kind of steer the conversation wherever you want, but, but give us your, uh, your, your opinions as I know you, you enjoy doing. I feel compelled to remind you that everyone dies. Death is batting a thousand since about AD 33. Um, what, what podcast am I on? Jeez, <laughs> I didn't sign up for this. And so I just, I just want to clarify that 
I went into the numbers today. I went so deep into the numbers. I went back. Okay. I have been charting TCU football for the last two and a half seasons and then have some data sources for, for prior to that. And I have done it across a slew of notebooks in no kind of systematized fashion. Today on my desk, I went through all of these notebooks. I gathered some of these past charts I did last year. I looked at just everything I could do to think maybe there's some shred of optimism. Maybe there's some way that TCU in 2019 has evolved, has adapted, has potentially taken a step towards improving the offense and therefore improving the program. And my friends, I'm here to tell you, I have nothing. I have nothing for you. Uh, TCU currently sits at three and four. They do have two one score losses, but the more you think about those one score losses and that one score win against Texas, the more you think, ah, I don't know. We're looking at a team that has played what nine, 10, one score games in the last two seasons and has lost eight of them, I think offhand. Yep. Um, and, and so at some point you have to ask, is this, is this bad luck or is this how things are? And, and I think we're settling on how things are. So TCU is currently ninth in um, net points or net yards per play. They're allowing 5.29 yards per play, or excuse me, they're gaining 5.29 yards per play on offense, but allowing six yards per play on defense. Um, they are only better than Kansas in their net yards per play. They're worse than Baylor. They're worse than Texas Tech. Uh, they currently sit at just an, uh, an absolutely unthinkably abysmal 39.8% success rate on offense, which is 95th overall. Uh, their defense. Drink. Yeah. Everyone, everyone take a, take a drink there. Um, none of their losses. So, so one stat I really like is kind of the uh, post-game win probability and, and for um, the uninitiated post-game win probability just says, what were the important factors of college football success? How did the two teams do on that? And how often do we expect a team who performed like this to win? Uh, so it kind of factors out randomness. And TCU has a, a win expectancy of uh, 1% against Oklahoma, 47% against Kansas State, and 18% against Iowa State, uh, 2% against West Virginia. So just every single loss has been decisive. It has not been unlucky. Um, and the more we learn about this TCU football team, the more we know what we've known all along, the more we confirm what we know all along. TCU football's offense is broken in some fundamental ways, and they do not have the capacity or the wherewithal, despite having the talent, to adapt in any kind of way to the modern game of football. Okay, well. Guide to the Purple Theory newsletter. <laughs> <laughs> um, very sad now. Uh, you know, I, uh, I don't I know what, what to do of... here. I honestly, well, I'm at a crossroads with my life right now because, like, how often can I keep hitting my head against the wall and looking at these terrible stats and saying you're doing the same thing over and over and over again and it's not working, and you refuse to address the fact that it's not working? Yeah, I, and that's kind of the the weird thing about this season, and, and I think we've tried to define that in 18 different ways, but. You know, for the last, what, three seasons, four seasons, TCU has been bad and not good, right? I, I guess 2017 was was the Kenny Hill year. They were fine then. Okay, so the last three seasons, they well, were bad. Well, let's go last, last four out of five, right? Last four since, out of five. Since right. Boykin left, and, and admittedly, admittedly, at Doug Meacham, words from his mouth said, there were plays – that Boykin did something, and I said, oh, no, what the hell is he doing? And then it was a touchdown. Trevon Boykin yeah. was lightning in a bottle. No one could contain him. He was a free spirit who scored touchdowns. That was not TC's offensive design. Absent that kind of electric playmaker on offense, even given the fact that Kenny Hill was capital V, capital G, very good his two years at TCU, the TCU offense has had no way to generate consistent success. In most of the, the four out of the five seasons where TCU has been losing, there's been an excuse, right? So it was, okay, it's at the Boykin left. We had to replace this incredible dynamic player. Um, Kenny Hill was a very good college quarterback. So once he adjusted to the offense and the defense was very good that year, TCU won the Alamo Bowl again. Uh, after that, okay, well, we don't really have a quarterback. You know, Sean Robinson's in, okay, maybe, you know, a lot of turnover. 
Last year, cycled through three different quarterbacks. Delton, Duggan, Collins, all of that. Okay, we don't have, you know, we can't get the offense going, all of that. This year, there's no excuse. This year, it's the band is back together. Meacham is back with Cumbie. You have an established starter and a quarterback. You have talented, albeit unexperienced, running backs. And yeah, the line isn't what you wanted, but there's still talent there. There's good receiving core. There's returning safeties that were rated the best in the country by PFF. There is talented linebacker. Defensive line isn't what you want, but okay, you can scheme around that. And yet, despite all those excuses, this is the worst TCU team I've watched since I've been a fan of TCU. So I don't understand how that lines up where you have no excuses and that you still don't perform. I think that, you know, I, I compared this to, to teaching the other day. Um, you know, I'm, I'm obviously a high school teacher. And, and I think that there are a lot of people who say, oh, this is how I've done it for 25 years. It's worked. Why wouldn't it work now? And, and we keep talking about the talent, the wins aren't matching up, talent, the wins aren't matching up. At some point, you have to look at the person delivering the message. And if, if these if these kids that we're recruiting are as talented as the the stars say that they are, that the high school game film says that they are, that that what we see them do in glimpses, that then it really it comes down to the messaging. And kids are different now. You know, I'm kind of I'm kind of getting tired of of everybody coming on the message boards and saying kids are soft and and they just want to transfer when times get tough. Like at some point, the adults in the room kind of have to, to be the ones to step up and say, maybe I'm the one that has to change. Maybe I'm the one that has to adapt. And I think for, you know, the last five seasons, we've seen continuously on the offensive side of the ball, square pegs going to round holes. And and it's it's super frustrating um, from a fan standpoint because Gary Patterson made his entire reputation on finding square pegs and putting them in in square holes. Right. Like that's what he's supposedly been so good at. What we've seen him be so good at turning high school quarterbacks and high school running backs into professional athletes at the, like at the NFL level. So why on offense do we can consistently see these talented kids get wasted while we stick to these ridiculous schemes and these ridiculous play calls and and this offensive style that clearly is not working? Yeah. And uh, I mean. I think that goes one direction, right? Like, I think a lot of that has been, we're able to put people on the defensive side of the ball. And, and I'll just say it's a lot easier to score points against mountain West defenses. That's, that's a fact of life. And it's not that Justin Fuentes didn't do a good job. It's not that Andy Dalton, who's had a great pro career, despite some mitigating circumstances is not an excellent quarterback. Uh, But it's just to say it's, you have to adapt on the offensive side of the ball and TCU has been relatively no, absolutely uninterested in adapting on the side of the ball. Um, and, and that's just been really, really frustrating to say Quentin Johnston is one of the best receivers in Texas and has the skill set to be one of the best receivers in the nation. Texas wanted him so badly. And uh, according to some people I talked to, uh, a member of Texas's staff just texted him too much and annoyed him. And he said, okay, never mind. I'm not coming here, which is ah. so funny. And I'm so choosing Texas. to believe it's true. So Texas. But ultimately, so yeah, you, you have to ask, like TCU's recruiting has gone up every year. Um, it won't so, next year. Well, we're going to talk about that. I think I, I don't, I don't really know what to do with that. Hey, Hey, Gosh, it's, it's a small, know. small scholarships to offer. So, you know, you can't really judge the rating, Baylor. Uh, I mean, okay, yeah, yeah. Here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. One, setting aside every single person who had a Bible verse in their Twitter account and Baylor University who made jokes about size doesn't matter when I said Baylor had a bad <laughs> class this year. Setting that aside. Um, I have been told from a very reputable source that TCU's ills this year come from the fact that they only have 60 scholarship players. It doesn't help. That well, so let's start doing math on that though. You only have 60 scholarship players, and that's yeah. why you're bad this year. And so next year, you're only going to offer seven kids, and they're all three stars. Hmm. Yeah. I wonder what's going to happen. I that that's really the concerning part is I don't see a way out of this. Like it, unless what unless it, it, there are say unless there are coaching no, changes ahead, yeah. Yeah, yeah unless in, unless something in the structure of the program changes i don't see a way out of this there there is no silver lining there is no well when this happens because we've seen 
we've run through every excuse in the book over the last five years, but we've also have five years of very similar results, except for that nice year where, you know, won 10 games and got blasted by Oklahoma stuff twice, you know, and like Kenny Hill completed 82% of his passes. I did not know we invited Mason Shereen onto this podcast. Look, I, I, I <laughs> here, here's the deal. So I, I hate cliches, but the, the cliche Einstein quote, you know, insanity or yeah. whatever is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. Okay. Is that Imagine Einstein in, in, or Ron Burgundy? That's Einstein. What? Nothing. <laughs> I don't think that was Anchorman. I haven't seen Anchorman 2. So no, that was Anchorman a stupid 2. joke. It wasn't Anchorman. I was just, everyone says that quote. I was just being a jerk. I'm sorry, Grant. Parker, Parker is like 0 for 3 so far today. Just like he's going to have to do so much editing. Maybe I'm so 3 for 3. <laughs> Maybe. My, uh, yeah. Uh, but... Uh, Imagine an NFL team having a lackluster offense for four years and keeping their coordinator this long. No, nope. I'm not. Look, it's a fine line to call for someone to lose their jobs. And I, I never want anyone to lose their job, but I'm just trying to point out a problem, right? It, 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 imagine a top level big 10 sec team. Imagine Ohio state, Alabama, Texas, keeping a coordinator this long that has been this inefficient and not, looking inward and saying, is there something we need to change? And if not a coordinator, then a system. And that's been the one consistent thing on that side of the ball, Parker. The issue with this is you just can't find a realistic comp. You cannot find a situation where uh, one, one aspect of the football, one side of the football has been so consistently bad and explained away with this kind of consistency. Uh, like like Melissa, I, I, I can't even think about someone who has had this much of a leash overall. It, it just, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Like if you look at somebody um, who, you know, Gary Patterson could stay another 10 years, but I think most of us have kind of known for a while that he wants to walk off into the sunset while he still is in a good position to live life. Well, right. Like I, it's been a, a kind of an open secret, you know, among the community that, they, that 2024 contract, but for all intents and purposes, is, is probably the end of his run as a head football coach. Now that could change, but why at the like, and, and I, this this is going to come back to that quote, which I know you love, Parker. Of it's the friends we made along the way, and it just kind of feels like Gary's like, I want to surround myself with people I like, but at the expense of his legacy. Or, or the other question becomes. Have we never, have we not seen TCU fully adapt to what it means to play in the Big 12? They had that that nice run with a super duper elite talent. They fielded a good defense, but it was maybe, maybe are we still too, holding on too tightly to all of the success before the Power Five and that those two you know, semi-magical seasons once we joined it. And maybe our expectations are way higher than they should be. And and, and it's hard for me to justify that because no. I see a growth plan at Iowa State. I see a growth plan at Kansas State. I see, you know, hope at some of these other programs that should not be anywhere near the position that TCU is set up to be in. But they have a mountain to climb and it feels like TCU is kind of sliding down with the avalanche on the other side. Well, so I tweeted that out today. I said, here's an interesting way to think about college football teams. When's the next year your team should compete for a conference title? Answer that question for TCU. It should I, be ideally, next year, but... Yeah, ideally, yeah. Is it going to be? No. No, but ideally. No. I mean, th- that's that's the moon cycle. Not, not, not even ideally. It should be. If you look at the talent, right. if you look at the age of the players, if you look at what's available to you on both sides of the ball next season, if you say that the pandemic is not going to be the excuse, if you say that they're as healthy as any other program in the conference, we've been saying for two years now, 2021 is the run year, 2021. But do you see anything that makes you go, okay, these are some growing pains. These are some young players, but we can see we can see the puzzle coming together. I don't see the puzzle coming together. Not at all. If the issue, if that's the thing. If the issue was the players, it'd be a different story. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's the issue. You know, Melissa, you made a good point about um, TCU kind of TCU fans, at least, hanging on to expectations from Mountain West success. And you, know, it's funny if you think about fans of of truly elite programs at really any sport. You know, Alabama football. 
uh, Duke, North Carolina basketball, stuff like that. that I- imagine those programs suffering through a three-year stretch like TC was had. I mean, heads would roll. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I, I just think that TCU is kind of – and, and TCU supporters – have a inflated sense of the program. And I do too. I'm counting myself on that. But in reality, since 2000, what do we have to show? TC won the Rose Bowl in 2011, lost another BCS Bowl, and then won the Peach Bowl. And since then, they've done nothing. They had a great comeback against Oregon. But man alive, I, I sometimes I, you know, I lay awake at night and I wonder, are, are we just kind of overestimating ourselves a little bit? Yeah. Okay, let's, let's do that in real time. Who are TCU's peers? Who are TCU football's peers right now? Okay, wait. Let let me let me quantify this. Oh though. yeah, come on. Who are these? Who are TCU's peers? When you look at resources, school size, recruiting base, or who do we think in our heads TCU's peers are supposed to be? Both. I, I want to answer both of those questions. I think so. First, let's do who do we think TCU's peers are? Who should TCU's peers be in your mind? So I can kind of I can kind of get us into that like. I think Oklahoma State and TCU should be peers. They kind of have. Sure. Yeah. I think Oklahoma State has ultimately outpaced TCU over the last yes since, since TCU joined the Big Twelve. But saying we're going to go back and forth with you, um, and 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 also every year we're we're on the fringe at worst of competing to get into the Big Twelve championship game. Yeah, that's that's, that's Oklahoma State's floor, and I think that's what TCU's floor should be. I don't think there's any reason that Iowa State, Kansas State. Uh, West Virginia should be in a better position. Baylor should be in a better position than TCU. I, I yeah, disagree I mean, with that. And that I think TCU and Baylor actually operating at their best should be linked. Okay. I'm, I'm fine with that. I mean, I, I think if but, you look at school size, then TCU and Baylor obviously are the closest comps, but TCU, remember TCU is either the smallest or the second smallest school population wise in the, in the power five. Um, yeah. Wake, but, I think is smaller. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, Wake is slightly smaller. Within, you know, 500, 800. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just think that. We're very, I need to clarify something. We've said this on the podcast on Sunday night. We're not firing Gary Patterson. We're not advocating firing Gary Patterson. That's the stupidest thing that I have heard anyone say. It would be so cool if your football program was bad. You could just say, bench your quarterback and fire a head coach and things will get better. That's not happening. That's not what's working. That's not even the right decision. So I just want to emphasize that again. uh, We need... We need to figure out the offense. Yeah. And, and I guess like I that's, a- that's the question. I was going to say that that's the question for, for TC fans. Even most of us that have been around for a while recognize that what Gary Patterson has done for TC has earned him the right to walk out however he chooses. I just, what I think is that there doesn't need to be this like Gary Patterson lust party where we have to accept mediocrity on his way out. Like that, that to me is, is the thing is that he can, he can leave however he wants to leave. You know, like I, I'm never going to advocate for his firing. I'm never going to push him out the door, but if it were me and my legacy, I would sure as hell try to leave at the top of the game, not at the bottom. I agree. Um, can I offer a, a comparison between TCU and another school? Yeah, please. And, and, and I want, to, I'm saying this as a way not to denigrate TCU, but to sort of, offer a maybe almost a resetting of expectations okay okay so if you say northwestern so help me i'm not i'm not going to i'm not going to Uh, he's a journalist uh, i'm not going to yes (laughs) yes i do syracuse and northwestern that's uh i did not go to medill um no but these schools playing a power five conference both these schools were formed in 1873 fun fact uh one school uh, has 13,537 students all told. Uh, what, a TCU is 11,000. Uh, both schools are in a metro area. Both schools have a stereotypically kind of frat bro, frat uh, or sorority lady reputation. Uh, and both schools play at a Power Five conference. I'm talking, of course, about TCU and Vanderbilt. Oh, Jesus. So Grant. If, if you're, if, but, but here's what I'm saying. Log here's off. what I'm saying. Here's the, no, 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 no. Here's how I'm trying to frame this. Here's how I'm trying to frame this. Among small private schools that play in Power Five conferences and have good baseball programs, Man Alive, <laughs> like TCU, is kind of holding its own. And I think we need to reframe our expectations to say, hey, look, I agree with Parker. Like, I would like TCU to be at the Oklahoma State level where we have a billion dollar donor, like TB and Pickens funneling money into our program and a really. 
uh, we do kind of, but like I, it's it's. But, but here's, I, I, here's I, my, here's I think I think TC fans expect I'm, too much, and I'm roping myself into that. I'm wheezing yeah, here, over here. Yeah, here's here's my thing though. Have you been on Vanderbilt's campus? Have you seen their athletic no, I facilities? To. I have. So so here here's the here to me is the difference is if you want to be Vanderbilt, if you want to be Northwestern, if you want to be Wake Forest, if you want to be any of those schools, that's great. That's lovely. That's fine then you don't throw $300 million into your football stadium. So, because so to me, two things what, about that. Okay, two things about that. Hold on. Parker, I'm going to overread real quick just to say, when I was in college, the administration made a big you know, push to saying, hey, okay, this is the schools we're comfortable with. We want to be comfortable with Vanderbilt academically. And I think they're trying to kind <laughs> of mitigate that. But go there, ahead. Yeah. We're, not, we're not there. So no, we're not. that's <laughs> the one big issue. Wake and Vanderbilt are on different levels academically than TCU. Yeah. And that's, mm-hmm. that's nothing more than realistically a function of TCU having nursing and business school as their biggest uh, disciplines. They really, they really don't have much outside of that. Um, Excuse uh, me. The radio TV film program is elite and produces nothing the journalism but program. intelligent people. Yeah. Yeah. The delegate from the Democratic People's Republic of Stats <laughs> War has no comment on the value of a communications degree. Um, <laughs> no, the second thing, Parker, there, I, I, I'm, I'm curious about that. Like, do you think we should reset our expectations or? No. So, so, so TCU's made its choices. It's, it's said we're not Vanderbilt. Um, and, yeah. and so there, there is some kind of like, hey, darkest timeline, TCU could be Wake Forest. Uh, but even then, academically, Wake Forest is outpacing TCU. Um, and, and that's nothing more than really a factor of like the top 10 rule in Texas really resorted in TCU kind of early on being the place where if you couldn't get into Texas, your, your parents paid for you to go to hey, TCU. Hey, hey, no, hey, that's hey, fine. Hey, I'm not, hey. I didn't real. even know UT was a school. It's fine. Early, early in the thousands, that's hundred percent it. And now it is an out of state haven. I'm not, that, I'm not passing judgment sure. on that. I'm just no, that's hundred percent saying that's what's yeah, happening. Do I need to break out? Do I need to break out my salutatorian trophy? Yeah, you went to a small I, school in the middle of nowhere. I, it doesn't hey, count. I too was salutatorian at my big public school. Everyone in a largely populated area. Thank Everywhere. Zoom high five. Thank you. Zoom high five. Uh, yeah. And I was Gosh. in the early 2000s. So there you go. And I went to TCU. Really, so okay, yeah. that's fine. Out of State Haven, you're from Tennessee. I know. I got a Maybe good scholarship Crockett? that I did. I got Maybe better scholarship Crockett. money at TCU than I did anywhere else because I was an out of state rando. Um, so all I'm saying is academically TCU does not have the ceiling that other schools have like Vanderbilt, Stanford, uh, Wake Forest. I think TCU would TCU's academic side would love to be on par with that, but that's neither here nor there. They've made the decision to invest in the football facilities. They clearly have football facilities better than all of them. Uh, Stanford's probably arguable um, just because everything is nicer in Palo Alto, but it, it's not. It, trust yeah, me, so, someone so, who spent so a lot of time on that campus. That's why I say Oklahoma wise, state. Yeah. I, I realize that like funding and all yeah. that, is different there and enrollment size and all that. But like TCU has cast its lot to be kind of that Oklahoma state um, better, better than a Washington state. I'm, I'm trying to think of the PAC 12 yeah. equivalent there, but like Utah. better than a South Carolina. Well, yeah, Utah, definitely kinfolk better than a South Carolina, better than a Syracuse, better than a Boston college. Um, and, and so you come back to these teams that are like, I mean, not in, not in basketball and, and historically, like you think about North Carolina, you think about Oklahoma state, you think about, uh, Auburn and those are kind of TCU's best case scenario peers. And and because that's what they've decided with how they've, how they've kind of allocated their funds and everything. And so you, it, it, it is grant, I think totally fair to say, Hey, they could be too lame. And say, hey, we're just having fun, winning six games because we had no way, and we got lost in the in the conference shuffle. Uh, but but I don't think that they're anywhere near that that stratosphere anymore. No, I do think they put their eggs into a certain basket. And listen, that basket is the reason that we have a podcast. So I'm not necessarily complaining, but but I, I just. You know, TC was thrived so long on being the underdog, right? And 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 beating Texas every year because it's fun. And Hey, we're just a little private school up North that don't care what anybody thinks about us. And, you know, we have a root tooting coach that likes to make comments and all that. And we're, we're underdogs all the time, but 
I, I, you kind of wonder, okay, yeah, maybe we're underdogs for a reason. Listen, I, this is a depressing podcast and I do not want to go down this road, but it's something I've been thinking about for the last few weeks, just because if you want to talk about state of the program, we're not showing any upward movement to being an Oklahoma state or whoever. I mean, I, I, I right, right now, this is how we're playing like the team that I'm describing. This is how TCO has operated for the last two years. Yeah, I, I agree. They they've been lost. So so let's let's uh, let's add let's put some direction on this because um, we told Melissa a half hour and it's been like forty five minutes. So it's fine. <laughs> the the um, Dallas Mavericks are not going to select Josh or uh, Desmond Bain, and I'm very sad because they're selecting Josh Green, who's hey. Australian. What the hell? <sighs> like Jordy Sandy. Speaking of TCU football. Um, <laughs> Bye week. <sighs> We're at the bye week. TCU has two games left. Kansas, which is, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm going to say this out loud, presumably a win. And Oklahoma State, which is presumably a loss. What does TCU need to be doing on bye week to ensure the best case scenario, not just for these last two games, but for 2021, which we've been told is the year for multiple years now? What does TCU need to do this bye week? I think you need you need to have a real like spend a week watching offensive film and figuring out what type of team you want to be, and then you know, hiring like, like, that person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then going out and hiring that person. Uh, no, but but I think legitimately it, it's this has been a team that week to week looks different, and not in the way that you are like, oh, what an innovative staff that's watching defensive film and adapting. More of like a we don't really know what sounds good today. So we're going to go ahead and try this this week, or we're just going to throw 75 screens and uh, end zone fades. And then, you know, run some wild frog uh, with the occasional uh, reverse or jet sweep, you know, but I, I would really like them to, to take stock of who's left because we're, we're up to, I think, I think we're close to double digits in the transfer portal currently. Um, and most of them are wide receivers. So take stock of who's what's left establish what those players are good at and then put together a game plan for Kansas that lets you work towards potentially putting together a game plan that could upset Oklahoma state. Can I, um, I'm going to segue. I don't know why I asked. So two things. One, you're absolutely right. I think TCU is far too matchup sensitive. They're not asking the question, what do we do? Well, they're saying, what does the opponent do poorly? Yeah. And then can we try to attack that? And I think that's not a good way to go about your offense. Um, and then two, can I ask, Here's, here's my theory about that. I think the one way that Doug Meacham has had a fingerprint on 2020 TCU. Well, there's two ways. One we've run the, we've, we've run the diamond formation instead of the wild frog. Have we seen the wild frog this season? Yes. Well, if you count Matt Downing playing quarterback, then we did a lot. No, no, we did. We saw, um, uh, what's his face? Uh, uh, Oh, Barlow on such a, not Barlow. uh, Foster. Yes, DeMarco Foster. DeMarco uh, Foster scored a touchdown on the Wild Frog. He, uh, and, and I think Oklahoma. we've run it yes. one or two other times as well. But, so, but two or three times, pr- yeah. Which is proof that it works. <laughs> yes, obviously. Establish the run. I'm cutting that. Um, the, the second thing I will say, so 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 the, the second way that Doug Meacham has had a, this is a theory, I'm not I'm not saying I believe this, has had a, had a thumbprint on this program is he's, basically told receivers who've had problems with drops in the past. You don't have playing time here. Mm. Okay. I, I, been I, very I, vocal I yeah. in back channels. And I won't say any more about that, about not about certain types of receivers, not fitting in the system. And everyone who has transferred from TCU saw significantly decreased usage this year behind younger receivers who have better hands. Fair. And so I think that the, the, I'm not as worried about the transfer problem because I think that's Meacham saying, Hey, if you want to run block, sure. Stay here. That's great. Uh, and then yes, my, my response to that would be, is Doug Beecham sticking around a while or is, is he going to be able to play nice this time around? Or if you're going to run off a bunch of talented, but maybe not great fits or maybe guys that had drop problem problems um, is run them off as opposed to, to coach them up. If that's possible, um, then I, I hope he's in it for the long haul to continue to develop the program the way he wants it to be. My, my pushback on that. And I'm, agreeing with you, Melissa, and adding another layer here is that why don't we, uh, I don't know, 
um, run the plays to the receivers that have good hands and trust them to make catches over the middle and routes like, I mean, you know, the pro Wells play, which runs or, you know, or, or which works, you know, all of those, like, I, okay. If we have a receiving core full of good hands, then why are we throwing screens and like low percentage fades to them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so I actually did some dives on this as well. And TCU's three most used routes this season are a hitch. They've thrown it 39 times a screen. They've thrown it 25 times and a halfback flare. I guess halfback is a really old way to say it. Running back flare, uh, 16 times in the last, since 2016. So 16, 17, 18, 19, 25 seasons, they have run an inside route. So that's an HB wheel, an HB pivot or a circle, a crossing route, a slant, an in, a post or a seam. 27% of the time. That is three out of four routes are outs, goes, screens. I just, I just don't understand. I actually legitimately do not understand. You've had terrible quarterback play and you haven't adjusted one single bit. And you're still running this JV offense from 2006. Well, and and, and Parker, so here's kind of where I'm confused, right? So, Correct, please correct me if I'm wrong, but Cumbie's an air raid guy, right? Cumbie is or, the one of the air raid guys. Yeah, absolutely. Play, okay, play yeah, yeah. I'm just, just, I'm, I'm just asking you to check me here. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Where's Mesh? So that's that crossing route, right? That that X? Yes. Only 92 yes. times. And, I, you know, I got to look at this. I got I to gotta empirically quantify this, and I, I don't know that I can. But, Grant, I'll tell you. Think about, I talk about this all the time. This is hilarious. The the se- the first half drive against Texas in 2019 into the half, right? Yeah. Where TCU yep, yep. had the ball very late and they went like stick, mesh, stick, mesh, yep, stick, yep, mesh. Yep, yep. They moved the ball so well into the game against Oklahoma. They went Zach Evans wheel, Zach Evans wheel, stick, mesh, stick, mesh. Against West Virginia, they went Quentin Johnson, skinny post RPO, Tay Barber play action in both of those high probability throws, line of sight, scheming your guys open. And I do not understand. I, I legitimately, this isn't even a critique. This is, this is clear and utter bewilderment on my behalf. If you don't have confidence in Max Duggan as a passer, which TCU clearly does not right or wrong. Why are you not throwing more high probability routes? Why are you just throwing screens and goes and saying either our receivers make a move and bust for five yards, or you are lucky to connect or get a pass interference 30 yards downfield. I just, I don't well, understand here, it. Here, and I like, I don't, I definitely don't know all the scheme breakdowns and, and all that kind of stuff the way that y'all do admittedly. But the one thing I know is that anytime you watch a, a football game of any level, high school, college, pro, you always hear the announcers talking about, oh, they script the first 15 plays and they're, they're trying to get their quarterback in a rhythm, right? So if you know nothing about football other than you just casually watch it as a fan, you know well the offensive coordinator's number one job is to get their quarterback in a rhythm. And if you have a talented, competitive guy who we've seen make throws, right? Like we mm-hmm. know he's capable. He's not consistent. We know he's capable, why would your number one priority out of the gate every single game be to script those first 15 plays or whatever TCU specifically does number wise in order to get Max Duggan comfortable and in a rhythm? It doesn't seem that hard. I feel like any of the three of us could write 15 plays that would give Max a shot to get into the flow of the game against any opponent that TCU is going to face. Yeah. Two things there. One that counts is Melissa say something nice about Max Duggan, uh, which we require all of our guests to do. So bingo, put it on the board. Number two, you're exactly right. And this is something I've harped on. I, we talked about this going against the Oklahoma game where Riley clearly gets Spencer Rattler into rhythm. Mm-hmm. He, he has quick throws out, you know, it, they're to the flat. They're not always over the middle, but it's okay. Hey, listen, get a couple completions. Then we'll look downfield. That pass that Duggan threw against Tech on the first play of the game, offensively, that got picked off was irresponsible. And, and I just, you're exactly right, Melissa. It, it's you could point to good teams that do this. It, it's you, not just an announcer cliche. It, we play them. We yeah. play these teams, and they do it. Well, and, and what I don't really don't understand is you have pro wells. How hard is yeah. it to run a stick or an option in the middle of the field and get that guy the ball? 
He just has to go. He can run the, the Jason Witten play. Go four yards, turn around, make a catch, fall forward. You're telling me you can't move the ball just doing that? It, it, it seems far too simple to not be done. And, and that's what I don't understand is, is I don't know if it's that these guys are getting too cute with it. If, if they have these high, these high expectations, or if they have this like deep in depth, though, this is what the other team does. So we have to fight them. But at the end of the day, run the play that works, then run a different play that works and then go back to the play that works. Like, and I just, can I just, can I just yes. one more thing just to, to capitalize on this? If I see a running back break off a, 25 yard or 40 yard play or get his helmet knocked off and then get a touch the next play out of the, I am going to lose my mind again. How many times have we done that? And every single time it has been for a loss. Like I play enough Madden in the NCAA 14 football to know when your running back is gassed after a play, you don't give him the ball again. Like we have four of them. This is not, this is not rocket science people. It's not rocket science. It doesn't seem. And they're all decent. Like it's no, only like there's four, like there's like one lead. It's like it's a stable, which we knew going into the season it was going to be a stable, and they still don't do that. Yes, yeah, you're and, exactly. that, and that totally speaks to like just some more inconsistencies because they'll run tempo, they'll you know break off a thirty yard run on inside zone, they'll hustle up to the line on first and ten, and they'll run the same play. Yeah, and then they'll throw a skinny post RPO to Michael Barkley that gets, uh, or I guess that was Conroy. I can't remember that has a penalty because TC's offensive line is inept and then they'll huddle and take 15 seconds of the play clock and then line up and then run inside zone on second and 15. I just, I, there is no coherent guiding ideology. There is, there is nothing there. And and that is nothing new. I don't think we learned anything new uh, in the West Virginia game about TCU. I think we just saw the fruit of the last year and a half. And here's the thing. You're going to ruin Max Duggan. You haven't yeah. yet, but you're going to if you keep this yeah. shit up. You want to talk about thousand yard stairs? Max Duggan on the sideline. They'll just cut to him sometimes during the game, but it looks like he's on like it's like the Battle of the Psalm out there, man. Like he does not look like he's having fun at all. There's this great song, uh, Bruce Springsteen called "The River." It's about how life doesn't mm-hmm. work out like you want it to, and he says, "Is a dream a lie if it don't come true, or is it something worse?" and Max Duggan's listening to that song on the sideline sometimes, man. He's just, I feel for the kid so bad. I, I, I've never been less surprised about a bearded man quoting Bruce Springsteen yeah, than I am about yeah. Parker quoting The River at this point. I just, I'm just saying, the last I, time I brought up Bruce Springsteen, you said, I don't know that song. So I was just contextualizing for you. I'm sorry. Do you remember those old, uh, those old Georgia Tech teams that had Calvin Johnson? Yes. And, and, and Demarius Thomas, Demarius yeah. Thomas and Rashad yeah. choice. I think. Yeah. Like they had some, yeah. Mon- uh, not Monty ball. The other guy whose name is ball. Yes. They had a good player. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Reggie ball, Reggie and, ball. And it wasn't, this wasn't a pass heavy offense, but what they did is they always had running uh, quarterbacks who could run well, who could work on play action, who you could move the pocket and who could just find their talented guys in space. Like that's a, why, bold, that's why? a bold strategy though. I don't know if it'll work out. I, I don't know if I, I just I hate to put the ball in the hands of the players who are good. I just I won't I don't want to put that pressure on Max or the offensive line. But I I don't I don't know. Like obviously like Quentin Johnston isn't Calvin Johnson right now. But man, like he's give him a uh, shot to be. Yeah, give him a shot to be. Exactly. I can guarantee he won't be if you keep treating him like this. Yeah. yeah. It's if yeah. if every catch is contested if every throw is made under duress and if you know, every run is predictable, then you really have no shot sure. of running a coherent offense. And right now, all those three things are happening at yeah. a TCU offense. Well, and, and, and here's the thing I'll say about Max too. Um, again, like he's not like, I'll never ever get over the way he missed Tay Barber in the end zone Saturday. I'll never get over that. I don't know yes. that it would have changed yeah. the game, but I'll never get over it. But here's the thing I've noticed about, about Max when he sees, a six foot three wide receiver that can jump in one-on-one coverage. He almost always throws the ball that direction if given a chance. Right. So, so he's not afraid to make the tough throw. He's not afraid to make the big play. And he's not afraid to give his receivers a chance. The only thing that's handicapping him and doing so is the play calling. Yeah. And, and, and it's like, 
choices have consequences. If you never put him in positions to make those mid-range throws and that he has to make one under pressure to an open receiver, like obviously he's not going to be prepared to do it. So yeah. Yeah. Gosh. Okay. We oh, can this rant has been about sad. this forever. Yeah. This is going to be depressing. Desmond Bain hasn't gotten drafted yet. So yeah. many things are happening right now. Um, I don't know that we have Twitter questions that we're going to address. I don't really know how to sign off this podcast because there is no resolution. I, there's no resolution. Can we? Okay, I, I'm going to say. Yeah, take me, take me out of this headspace. Yeah, let's go. Well, I'm going to save not making fun of, but addressing the Bryles Baylor radio appearance mm. for my column tomorrow morning. Um, uh, which yeah, can the, I just say, you know, can we? Most pretentious thing I've ever not? said. But yeah, can we just? Can we not? Yeah, can we? That? That's that's the. This could be the general focus of the column. Is let's. Let's not. Dude, friend um, of the podcast, you want to know about offense in that time period? You want an evaluation on Baylor? Call Cody Alexander, friend of the podcast, who is a is an upstanding guy and knows all that stuff. Yes. Don't don't dive in the dumpster. Ridiculous. Indefensible. Stupid. I if I have one more person suggest with any note of seriousness that Art Brile should be TCU's OC, I may show up, I may like uh meet them in Temecula. Like that might uh, be have it people been me. suggesting that? Oh my gosh! Yeah, I don't just got send me. I don't today. want to talk to those people. I've, yeah, I've been. And, and um, I was like, "You're kidding, right? Like you're kidding." And then, no, I'm not kidding. He would be great. No, oh, someone legitimately said, "Oh, the issues with oversight won't follow him." Bitch, they followed him since he was coaching <laughs> high school football in small school Texas. I like this I, is nothing new Melissa, for this ass clown. I can't remember if I touched on this on this podcast or not, but there was a lady I knew in um, in Granbury where I used to work who used to be a counselor for the Stephenville High for Stephenville High School where Browse used to coach, and she had nothing but nasty say nasty things to say about that man, and she was there when they won a state title. Yuck. Um, yes. I, I, so I, I know a lot of high school football coaches, and and yeah, the the way that he would the steroid use the the assault the things that happen with players in his programs like this is not a good human being i don't care how much he did or did not know about what was going on first of all we know gary patterson we've all heard gary patterson speak there is no way in hell a head football coach does not know every minute detail going on in this program they're psychotic we've learned that from gary and he's not an exception he is the rule you know, so yes. there's absolutely and, uh, no way that Bryles did not know what was going on in that program to some degree. It's just it. It's how much did he pull his head out of the sand to listen? It's, no, also, never. I'll I'll be done. I'll be done with TCU Gary. Hire him. Hated our Gary. Yeah. Hated still our Bryles. Uh, still still does. does. Uh, I do want to end on a positive note, and and yes, this will um, be about Max Duggan. Uh, um, Hugh Freeze getting hired at South Carolina is that the positive note you want to end on? Wait, is that a real? Is that happening? I would bet money on it. Are you serious? I don't. I have no insider information. I'm just saying. Okay, okay. okay if the homie okay. wins it, wins at NC don't, State don't this weekend. Don't scare me like that, man. Wait, give me, so, give me my dentist chair. Here's <laughs> here's happen. Thumbs up. My mom, my mom was up visiting me uh, when he when that whole scandal broke, and uh, I was like, "Mom, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to go listen to a 30 minute podcast, uh, the Shutdown Fullcast, about them making fun of Hugh Freeze." And I didn't interact with her for 30 minutes so I could listen to that podcast. Um, worth it too, Ryan, right? Totally worth it. Ryan Nady opened by looking up Orlando uh, escort services on his cell phone. Um, I, I, I want to end on another positive note. Uh, Are we going to look up uh, escort services? Oh, wait, hold on. <laughs> uh, no. Um, Who's over three just, now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll cut on that. It's fine. Big 12 champions for no, don't leave it in. Uh, Big 12 uh, champions for life. Uh, Max Duggan um, wants to use his time on campus to inspire others, learn he, all that he can so he leaves as a better person. Using his platform to raise awareness of racial discrimination, says he's constantly inspired by his teammates. Quote, you must face adversity and learn how to overcome failures. Um, Duggan seems like a really good kid, and I'm glad that he's like the face of the TCU program mm -hmm. at this point. Um, I really hope. We don't waste him, but I'm very glad to have Max Duggan on board. And I'm glad that he's one of the leaders. It, I've been very impressed by TCU all this year between him uh, and, and a lot of the players that have stood up for, for what they believe in. And I'm glad that for the most part, the coaching staff has allowed him to do so. And that's cool. 
Yeah. So yeah. That's, that's, Kelton Holland's um, on that note. Yes, especially. Kelton yes. Holland yep. is someone yep. we, we need to shout out as well. Uh, and that's, yes. that's what I will say. You know, we talk about the Bryles and all that, like, there have been issues in, in the TCU football program that goes without saying when you, when you have a hundred and something guys on, on a team, like, you know, they're not all going to be model citizens. But one thing I will say that 99.9% of the time I've been proud of to be a part of, you know, graduated from a university that has those types of kids, uh, what they do in the community, all the good they do outside of it. And, and not most of the time how it's handled when you do get, you know, the, the bad apple or the kid that screws up. But this is a really high character group of people. Um, on this TCU football team with Duggan, Garrett Wallow um, is yep. recognized for a lot of his work he does in the community. Kelton Ho- Hollins, obviously, uh, th- these are these are really good. Trey, Mer- Trey, Mer- Trey Merrick is one of just the best human beings in college football. Um, I-, I would love them to win more, obviously, but um, at the end of the day, they're 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 good kids that that you know are, are working their tails off to try to get better, and and I hope that the coaching staff puts them in opportunities to do so. What co- what more could you want out of a college quarterback than Max Duggan? Right. I mean, yes, cool. It'd be cool if he was Trevor Lawrence, but Trevor Lawrence doesn't exist for 128 yeah. of 130 college football teams. So, yeah, uh, I, I've I've never seen uh, Trevor Lawrence throw up the frog. You know, Trevor. That's zero, something I would like. Zero times, zero yeah. percent of his mm-hmm. touchdowns has he thrown up the frog. That's has true. Has Trevor Lawrence ever beat Texas? Zero times that he has beat Texas. Never beat. Has Texas. he ever beat Baylor? God, he's My never God. beat Baylor either. Ah, uh, see, you see, what Trevor I'm Lawrence is okay. winless against Baylor. Wow, wow, winless against teams from. Well, that's not true. He's beat Texas a and but anyway, um, okay, they're not a team. This is fine. this. <laughs> uh, of course, this yeah, is I, the I year they're they good. By the way. Like, how did Florida choke away that game? That makes me so angry. Because now a and going to pretend they're good. AM's going to go to a New Year's Six Bowl. Yeah. And AM's going to be AM's going to be ranked higher. Schedule? AM's going to be the highest ranked non playoff team this year. Yeah. They're going to be five. Yeah, you're probably right. That's not changing. Five. Hey, now wait a second, though. They're still AM. They could choke away that game at Auburn. I'm counting on it. Gus, Gus Auburn, Malzahn yes, with could. his job on the line. Man. Undefeated with his job on the line. This is a fire Gus year, so he will be at A and M. Chad, Chad Morris twisting the knife against Texas one more time. Be Shout nice. out to Bay City Blackcats, Chad Morris. Um, okay, this has been the Purple Theory podcast, uh, or some we, kind we, of version of it. Who knows? Some kind of version of it, but no. I think this was a a, a honest to goodness look at the state of the TCU program. I'm sorry for comparing TCU to Vanderbilt, but that's. But I, I will stand by that. Can, can, um, can I interject there? Can can someone? I was a tour guide at TCU, and I can't remember. Wasn't there something about the brick at Vanderbilt and Tulane and TCU? Like TCU's brick is the same brick in the buildings they use at Vanderbilt or something. Someone who who knows this, DM me. Tell me about TCU's this. TCU's brick was specific. like Vanderbilt and TCU and Tulane all had like a certain type of brick that was like shared no. or something. No, the, the TCU brick is specific to TCU. It was a custom color created by Acme, I thought. Maybe I'm confusing. So I think Tulane and Vanderbilt have a thing, and maybe I'm confusing TCU. Someone someone knows the answer to that. Someone tell me about that. Uh, that was all my interjection there. Grant, you're forgiven. Uh, also, I apologize that the podcast the last two times has been external processing, but we all need this. So uh, if you want the hard analysis, subscribe to the Purple Theory newsletter for the cost of a beer a month. Uh, you can... Um, get get some of the deepest thoughts about TCU football uh, on the internet. So make sure you're subscribed there, purpletheory.substack.com. Uh, we'll be uh, up and rolling tomorrow morning. We'll probably have some random stuff uh, between now and the bye week, uh, or rather now and the Kansas game. Um, and as always, questions, comments, concerns, the DMs are open at Stats of War and at Grant McGalliard. Um, our guest tonight has been uh, at the coach, Melissa, uh, Melissa Trebwasser. She can be found at Frogs War and on Twitter. Um, other than that, anybody, anybody got anything else? <sighs> Beat by week. Yeah, enjoy the bye week. Enjoy the bye week. You know what? Hey, I, I'll say this. I'll say this nicely and not to drag on. Everyone have a happy Thanksgiving. Be safe. Um, but but as much as you can and in a safe manner, like enjoy family, enjoy the bye week, all that. Don't think about TCU football. And then Saturday, wake up ready for the Kansas game. But it, it, this has been a tough year. We all learned a little bit of a break to eat whatever we want and fried turkey. 
So the, the purple things. theory mid game uh, or halftime live stream on Thanksgiving is going to be lit. Just prepare yourself for that. Uh, it's going to be bad. Lit's a big word. Melissa, thanks for coming on. Always fun to talk to you. Uh, we're going to, we're going to sign off and get off this damn podcast. Go frogs. Go frogs. <laughs> Go frogs. <laughs>